Welcome to the Hard Enduro Hosers podcast. A Canadian podcast where we cover events, gear, and gossip. We have absolutely no authority in. I'm Alex Christie. And I'm Kyle Frozy. Okay, welcome to episode four. As we were talking last week, we got on the discussion of electric bikes, and uh, we thought we'd follow up with uh, a little bit more on that. Yeah, last episode we had, uh, we were talking about gas gas, and this episode we'll be talking about electric electric. Yeah, the hostile takeover by KTM. Did they want them for their electric component? Yeah. What's the KTM e-ride actually like? When we started kind of digging around for this, my biggest thing was I was like, well, Okay, we're looking for an alternative to what we have that's electric. But when you search electric dirt bike, you get a lot of results that are not really dirt bikes. I don't think. I don't know if you found that. Yeah, there's a lot. Mostly, they kind of look like trials bikes with seats on them almost. Like there's nothing that's full on like an enduro bike. Yeah, I, I got a lot of pedal bikes. Yeah. So I thought right out of the gate that, you know, we're ditching the crank in the motor we're ditching the crank like this is not a mountain bike with electric assist we're talking full-on enduro bikes here with proper yeah. suspension dirt bikes real bikes real bikes that you know you, yeah you could take to a, a we'll say a cross-country event because a cross-country bike i feel like is a balance between an mx bike and an enduro bike yeah for sure it's like a good kind of middle i found three options three things that i would fit into that class i'm not sure in your digging what do you, you found find three of them i found three i only I only found two. Like I found the KTM, KTM Freeride EXE and the Alta Redshift. Yeah, and uh, the Redshift. Most of the the data I got on it was on the EXR, the very last one that they released or were going to release. Oh, okay. I don't know how many were actually sold because uh, there was the MX before that, which was a little bit less power. Oh yeah, yeah. Just no. to clarify. What, what we're talking here so the the one that i have that uh, i think you're missing is the electric motion e-trek and it was one that was on the boat and off the boat and on and off until i got through the specs yeah we could start with just a, a brief comparison on uh talking about power uh i think that's an easy one because we don't want to be riding like 65 cc equivalent bikes right like no exactly and we don't want we don't want to be riding a 250L Honda with 29 horsepower. No, no, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't really consider that one part of so, the. So we'll start the with the e ride because it'll become apparent why I kind of left it in, but I'm on Yeah, we'll we'll come back so, around to that, I guess. E ride 24 horsepower. Okay, that that's barely there. The Redshift 50 horsepower, just an animal. Which is which is noteworthy. Like that's. That's essentially yeah. kind of the same realm where we're at with our 300 two-strokes. And the electric motion comes in at 20 kilowatts or 26 horsepower. More horsepower than the E-Ride. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's fair. So that's why it got, it got left on the list. And it does have shortcomings in pretty much every other category. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes more horsepower than an E-Ride. And I think that's a bit of a bragging point. But how would it how would it handle though compared to the free ride? Because at least the free ride's like mostly a real dirt bike. Yeah. Even though it is like it's still got all the WP suspension and whatnot, it's just smaller. Like the, I guess like the what are they free rides? Yeah. The regular gas yeah, so free the, rides and the say beta cross trainers. 
so when we say smaller, uh, it's not necessarily shorter. They're both uh, kind of a 125 frame size bike, uh, both the E-Trek and the E-Ride. And they both weigh almost the same. The E-Ride's 111 kilograms, 244 pounds, and the electric motion is 108 kilograms. So three kilogram, uh, six pound difference, it's almost seven pound difference. Like they're, they're very similar bikes. But like you say, the, the suspension is like a, a generic. Is it more of a trial Z suspension? I get the vibe from electric motion and a lot of the products that they put a lot of time into that they're a trials, an electric trials company and they're trying to build an enduro out of a trials bike. So this is kind of, so do they, do they have inverted forks? That's the kicker. If it, if they're not inverted forks, you have a trials bike and there's no way that I am going to ride a trials bike with a seat on it. Yeah. No, they're inverted forks. Okay. Okay. So it's close. It's, like, and they make a supermoto version. Not that that's of any interest to us, but supermoto is cool though. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but it also it it has the smallest battery capacity of the uh, the three bikes. Oh, the fastest charge time, but I mean it's the lowest capacity, which pretty much that's something we talked about briefly on the last episode on whether or not an electric bike would be viable on how mm-hmm. long can you actually ride it and. If it's putting out more power and you use it, it's going to go dead even faster because of the element capacity. Yeah, absolutely. I was looking on YouTube actually this morning and Electric Cycle Rider, he's got a whole bunch of videos on battery um, life tests. And uh, he compared a 2020 KTM Freeride EXC and a 2017 Freeride EXC both electrics and he said that so on the video on the 2017 he was getting about 30 minutes of track riding on setting setting three this was like beginning of march when he was doing it so i think that the track was about the only place that he could go and test them um but then the 2020 it made 51 minutes of track riding on setting three so like that's noteworthy yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, that's almost a, a double. Of that's, that's almost double in just uh, the three year difference there. Or I guess, what would be four years, I guess, technically. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So if a guy knocked that down to the setting two or something, you could probably get, I don't know, maybe an hour, hour 20 out of it, hour 15. Yeah. And that's getting pretty close. Yeah. Would we set in the last episode that two hours, we want to be able to go and do whatever for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. If we so, be rolling for two hours, that would be, that would probably, probably be the limit, I think. I imagine the Alta, like I didn't look up uh, riding times. I tried, but they were pretty vague. Yeah. But it has a uh, 5.8 kilowatt hour capacity versus the E-Ride of 3.9. So it's got like four versus six. So it has an extra 50% battery. So it, it'd be yeah. close. I bet you you'd be around that hour and a half if it was efficient and you you turned it down a little bit because yeah. I'm sure the 50 horsepower would consume electricity way faster than 24 horsepower would. Oh, yeah. Yeah. From what I read, there was a Alta made a Redshift EX, I think it was. It was a road legal version. Yeah. Yeah. The predecessor to the EXR. Yeah. And... Apparently that one was getting over, it was just over an hour is what I read. Yeah. Which was, which is not bad. 
And, and for, looking yeah. at the Alta, like it's a full on bike. And I'm sure that if you're riding in the woods, because I, I look at the e-ride as kind of being, you know, the free ride where it's a crossover bike. It's not, re- it's a dirt bike, but it's, it's not something it's, that a f- like a full grown fit man would take to an XC race or anything. Right. But the, yeah, the Alta is, it has the suspension and you can be that full grown aggressive man on it. And totally. That you're going to blow through bike, power faster. That Alta bike was, uh, it won supercross races and then it was, came third. The one of the riders was third on the, uh, an enduro cross event. Wow. That's so awesome. So it was like competing with the 254 yeah. strokes and the, yeah big four strokes racing side by side and doing very well direct competition that's cool yeah but unfortunately alta didn't last as long as we had hoped oh i know like anything harley davidson touches is just like i don't know that was a hell mary going with harley davidson and what a what i read is that harley davidson and alta they partnered together yeah so from what I understand, there wasn't really a buyout. They were just partnering oh, okay. to try yeah. and get like a financial boost. Yeah. And then I guess six months later, something that partnership and the relationship kind of went bad and then they went separate ways. Oh, okay. yeah. So that's why they were looking for, for somebody to really inject some capital into them so they could get going. Yeah, exactly. Then in like at the end of 2018, they just went out of business. And in February 2019, Bombardier bought all of Alta's assets. Yeah, I was digging that a little bit more, and that they commented that they uh, they weren't actually they wanted it for the intellectual property and the technology that they had. I tried to find the actual BRP press release on this, and they've taken it down. Oh, really? But it was that they had no intention of operating. It as it had in the past, they're not going to take on the liabilities of Alta. So they basically just bought like the intellectual property. And with the liabilities, what they're saying there is they're not going to continue to make parts and they're not going to support these bikes that already exist. Yeah, no, I'm sure they wanted Alta just for the pieces. Like they wanted just the the R and D, the stuff that's already done, so they can boost whatever else they've got going on. Yeah, it's just crazy to, to yeah. buy it and and part it out and. Say, hey, yeah, uh, sorry if you bought one in the past. We actually have no, we don't really want it for a motorcycle company. We just want the electric motor technology. Yeah, they don't want they don't want to produce dirt bikes. They want it for yeah. their quads and their side by sides and all that other stuff. Yeah, but how cool would it be like Can Am with such a racing history back in the day on bikes, especially in the the two stroke department? I had that thought you know, as well, actually come back with an electric can-am and then just start hammering everybody else with it like oh yeah and bombardier's got like the financial capability of doing that if they wanted to yeah absolutely they have the resources the people the manufacturing facility like i don't know it'd be cool but i mean they're pipe dreams right they're pipe. Uh, it's never gonna happen i think what it comes down to is either ktm company is gonna put together an electric enduro bike or um or there's going to be a whole new company coming out of the woodwork that creates a full enduro bike like yeah like alta right but um but yeah there's going to be an up-and-coming company i'm sure of it so my question for you is do you think the market's ready if 
a two-hour bike got dropped on the market. Let's say Bombardier went with it. They came out with the Can-Am. A year from now, they came out and said, look, we can do two hours of your normal riding. Let's say single track hauling around. Yeah. It's got real suspension on it. Let's say KYBs. Yeah. Here it is. Do you think the market's ready for it? Like, do you think they'd sell a lot of those? Do you think there'd be a lot of conversion? Or do you think there's still a lot of people that are like, yeah, I'm a... Yeah, you know the old guys on the four-speed MX bikes that are still trying to ride the trails. Yeah, I no, don't know. I, like, I think I think people are ready for it. I think things have been happening even the last five years where it's really going towards that um, the eco-friendly, but still want to get outdoors. I think I think people are ready for it. I think if yeah. it was a real bike with a good battery, I think it would be, I could be a good buy. I think people would, a lot of people would get behind it as long as it was proven. Yeah. Like if you could throw, say you're a Taddy Blazusiak type person on it and start cleaning up with a race or two, then I think yeah. a whole bunch of people would get behind it. And for me, if a battery pack became, because I see the battery pack as being the biggest consumable on the bike, right? Like the motor will last a long time. They're all brushless. The controller is going to be good. Yeah. Your suspension's all going to be the same maintenance as your normal bike. But the question mark is the battery and how long it's going to last. And if you could make battery packs for like the $1,000, $1,500, it'd be worth it because that's, you're rebuilding your bike, right? Like if you could buy a battery pack for the cost of rebuilding your normal internal combustion engine. Yeah. All of a sudden. Every four or five years even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where you're like, okay, you know what? I've had this bike for three years and I've definitely lost capacity. Let's, let's give it a refresh and you can buy just another battery pack for it. And it gives it that whole refresh. Oh, hundred percent. The other thing that I just thought of is how is the battery going to last through winter in the off season where here it gets down to minus 40 yeah. Because if it's a big battery, are you going to have to like keep the bike above freezing the whole time? Or are you going to be able to remove the battery easily to bring it indoors for winter? Like that would be another question mark that I'd have. Yeah, absolutely. Even, you know, just keeping a tender on it or put it into storage mode where maybe it discharges the, the battery to its, uh, a lot of lipos and stuff have a, a storage voltage that they prefer. Oh, yeah. And maybe it has a, a storage mode that you put it on where you, if you know you're not going to ride it for three or four months or something, you put it in the storage mode, it discharges the battery, just creating heat or something until it gets down to that voltage and then it just shuts off. And Yeah, absolutely. No, that's uh, that would be a good option because for us, we don't ride for four or five months of the year. Yeah, not everyone has a heated garage. Yeah, exactly. And you'd be pretty sad if you put your bike away in fall and then in spring you take it out and then it just doesn't work and you have to spend $1,500 or $2,000 from your battery. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. That would be very disappointing. Going back to the market readiness, uh, something that really appeals to me is the, the silent factor. Yes. One of the biggest things on getting trails and riding areas around here is that the noise pollution even more so than the actual like riding pollution. Obviously, when you're competing with mountain bikes and stuff for areas in for single track, you're yeah. packing on coolant and oil and gas, but that's never really the issue that stops people from accepting it. It's always noise pollution. And if you're out there tearing around on a virtually silent bike, it'd be amazing the riding areas you could get to and, and kind of poke around in where yeah. no one's worried about you no, I, upsetting yeah. the mountain goats or... 
or buzzing by their house with a you know a stroke super close to town and it wouldn't be wouldn't be a big deal yeah because i that was the biggest issue with the motocross track in town here i think was just the noise pollution yeah can you imagine if you just walked over tracks going there's tons of people on it rah, 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 and you just like hit the mute button on it yeah right and you're sitting there and everything is still looks the exact same people are still you know hitting big hips and tables and doubles but yeah the biggest noise is people clapping and cheering yeah exactly yeah i don't know what do you think alex think people are ready for it i i I think there, I don't know that there's enough people on the progressive side of it. I think we're right at that that cusp. When when I say progressive, I just mean like people who are open minded and accepting. And I think that the rest, uh, the majority of kind of the middle zone that just kind of I'd almost call them sheeple. Yeah, yeah. For them to accept it, they need it to be more normalized to them, where they need more experience. Yeah. So we need a company that'll come out with a bike reasonably priced enough that those progressive people buy them and get them out there for other people to see and normalize it more. And as it gets more normalized, then you'll get that big switch of, of sheeple starting to buy them. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and I think, I do think that it would be slower to take off here in North America just because of our population isn't so dense and the emissions aren't so strict as opposed to say Europe. Yeah, absolutely. A very valid point. Yeah. And the, right. the enduro community is so big over in Europe. And I think if someone released a bike over there, I do think it would take off. Yeah. It's, we're at that kind of the chicken egg problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, we talk about it being an affordable bike, but how do you make an affordable bike when you have to develop all these technologies? Yeah. I mean, how many companies have to start and fail pushing the technology just a little bit further before we're at the point where all of those bankruptcies have paid for the technology yeah. to get to the bike that's affordable. And hopefully companies like Bombardier are buying all of the electric R&D for themselves and not producing yeah. those dirt bikes that had so much promise. Yeah. And uh, just bringing up the emissions in Europe, an interesting uh, angle I heard on KTM purchasing gas gas to tie into our last episode. This comes from a person who heard it from a person. Uh, Julian was saying that he heard KTM purchased gas gas so they could import more two strokes into the US because there's a maximum number under the EPA regulations that you can import into the country that are above a certain emission. So there's, oh. there's this kind of two stroke cap and they've hit it with KTM and they've hit it with Husqvarna and now they're bringing in gas gas so that they can have another 50% more two strokes coming into the US market. Wow. See, that almost makes the most sense out of anything we just said in the last episode. Yeah, I, I thought that was worth uh, just when you said emissions there. And uh, yeah, that was worth mentioning because that was definitely uh, an interesting, interesting point. Exactly. And if you could get, say, an electric XCW KTM, like that would just be, that'd be awesome. That would be that many yeah. more two-stroke-esque bikes just hitting the yeah. market. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Well, hopefully these bikes come pretty quick here, though. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty curious. I wasn't so sure when they first came out, but now, uh, now that I've been reading a little bit more about it over the years, I think it's a good thing. I've been pretty excited to have one, I think. Yeah, the electric bike? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, the I, electric I, bike would be awesome, if everything panned yes. out, of course. Yeah. 
Yeah, everything on our list was checked off. I would agree. I, I think it's a it is a viable alternative. I don't think we're quite there yet. And Alta, the real bike. I mean, it's so heartbreaking reading about their story. And I'd be pretty sad if I was the founders of that company. And you know, you just watch it get parted out under you. But you know, when yeah. you're broke, you're broke. Yeah, exactly. That's just the way she goes. Okay, well, I guess we'll wrap the episode up. And uh, are e-bikes a viable alternative right now? Alta probably would have been. We're a little under the hour mark. Yeah. I don't know. What, what's your feelings on the free ride? I couldn't see myself buying a free ride. I like the, I like the tall bike that I have now. I like the full enduro bike. I don't think I could go to a free ride or a beta cross trainer type bike just because I am a bigger guy as well. I think that is part of it. But I don't think that the electric bikes are there yet. I think yeah. I think they'll be there in five years, though. By 2025, I think we're going to have just a phenomenal electric bike. That's just a superb option. Yeah. Okay. Well, that summarizes it pretty good. I, I think we're both in agreement there. And... Uh... All right. Yeah, we'll uh, catch catch you guys next time. Bye.